0: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's panel on coaching leaders during challenging times or during challenges. This is our 12th panel discussion that we've done, and it's pretty wild, as I remember a couple of weeks ago saying that this is the first one we're doing. And it's just been an amazing ride. And I want to thank the four of you for coming on and sharing your wisdom. I've been really fortunate to chat with over 150 remarkable people for my Intentional Performers podcast. And these people have overcome adversity, thought deeply about leadership, and I know today's guests live in the leadership world and eat, breathe, and sleep leadership. And they've also set up intentional lives for themselves to perform at their best. So I've had in-depth conversations with Miranda, Scott, Sebastian, and Jim over the years, and certainly on the podcast, and have loved learning their story and how they've set up their lives. And the coronavirus has created challenges for so many throughout, the world, and it's my hope that these panel discussions will help those in need, and certainly we're all in need right now. While everyone on this panel has tremendous expertise, I also just want to acknowledge that. We're going through something truly unprecedented. And there may be questions that the panelists don't have the answers to, and it's completely okay. We're not here to give you the answers to every challenge that you're going through. And uh, certainly, I don't expect them to have answers to everything. So there might be some times where we don't know, and, and that's completely fine. This isn't designed to give you the answer to every question. Instead, it's just designed to have you think deeply about how you can handle this unprecedented unprecedented time that's giving us all different challenges in different ways. So with that, what I'd like to do is have each of them introduce themselves, and we'll start with Miranda. Thanks so much, Brian. Excuse
1: me. So my name is Miranda Holder. Um, I'm a leadership coach. I'm based up in uh, eastern central Vermont. Um, uh, The quickest, most brief background on me, I was a college athlete and uh, was training after college for the U.S. national rowing team. Uh, When I was 25, I got diagnosed with a uh, genetic heart condition that really um, forced me to rethink what I was doing in advertising at the time. And I turned to uh, collegiate rowing coaching because I wasn't really ready to put my oars down as it were. Um, And so for about a decade, I was doing that. I ended up at Georgetown University in DC as the head coach for the women's team and um, got very burned out doing that. I could have really used a leadership coach at the time. And uh, thankfully, I was working with somebody at the time that helped me see leadership coaching and executive coaching as an avenue forward. So in 2015, I started my business. I thankfully went through the amazing program at Georgetown and uh, have been doing that ever
2: since. And that's me.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Miranda. Scott, I'd love to go to you next.
2: Okay. Hi, I'm Scott Eblen uh, coming to you today from Los Angeles. Uh, We're in lockdown and shutdown. Um, in our little uh, hermit cave here. Uh, so like Miranda, I'm an executive coach. I have a Georgetown connection. I uh, was a student there many years ago and was on the faculty at the Georgetown Coaching Program for about 10 years. Um, I, in addition to coaching, do a lot of executive education and a lot of writing. I've written a couple of books. Uh, the first one is The Next Level, What Insiders Know About Executive Success, and that's all about What do you need to pick up and let go of from a behavioral and a mindset standpoint as you're moving into new situations that require different results? Uh, The other book uh, is called Overworked and Overwhelmed, The Mindfulness Alternative, which is really a book about self-management. And we are focused on helping organizations and individuals themselves be better, organizations build better leaders, individuals being better leaders, uh, for leading better lives,
3: for creating a better world.
2: So that's me.
0: Thanks, Scott. Jim, why don't you go next?
3: Sure. Yeah. My name is Jim Harshaw. Um, I was uh, much like Miranda and, and Sebastian will introduce himself here in a second, but, uh, as former division one athlete, I was an all American wrestler at the university of Virginia, uh, spent about a decade in coaching, including a stint as the youngest division one head wrestling coach in the country. And um, uh, was in business for several years, and, and major guest fundraising at my alma mater, the University of Virginia, um, before I got into coaching and sort of discovered this um, this line of work, with which really aligns with uh, with my you know my background in, in coaching and in teaching. Got a master's in teaching from the University of Virginia, and. Um, I, uh, I'm the host of the Success Through Failure podcast. And, um, you know, much like Brian, get to talk to these amazing individuals from all walks of life from, you know, CEOs to Navy SEALs to billionaire investors to New York Times bestselling authors and, and picking their brain about, about success, not only success, but also failure, really, and in, uh, in, in normalizing the, the, the idea that failure is a necessary step on the path to success. Um, but uh, so, anyway, that's, uh, that's a little bit about me.
0: Thanks, Jim. Sebastian, why don't you take us home?
4: Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Hey, my name is Sebastian Little. I'm uh, from Cheshire, Connecticut. So I'm an East Coaster. I'm currently based in Washington, D.C. I'm working full-time at the McChrystal Group, which is a leadership and organizational management consulting firm um, founded by General Stanley McChrystal. So a four-star in the military. Came back after the Joint Special Operations Command and the lessons learned in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and really started a company based on a lot of the adaptability principles. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a few today. I also started my own business about four years ago doing leadership um, and mental performance coaching, Um, just finishing up my official coach um, training program right now and more ontological leadership coaching, Uh, but really love this work. Just the idea of taking an individual or team and figuring out where they are now to where they want to go is, um, is really what drives me. So thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome. So Sebastian, you mentioned adaptability and I'd love to dive right into that. What are some things you're noticing in real time because I think a lot of us like to talk about I call our work roof building so we build the roof and then uh, when the rain comes we're ready and at least for me like I don't love to jump in with people when it's raining and then come in and troubleshoot like I think a lot of our work is done before the situation occurs but here we are right we're, we're in it so what are you noticing uh, in your work and as Companies and organizations and leaders are trying to figure out how to adapt to what we're currently going through.
4: Yeah, it's it's super interesting because we're about three weeks in right now. Um, and the thing that I've noticed, I'll go high level, then I'll go a little bit more tactical and applicable. From the high level perspective, the when we talk about adaptability, it's think about it as a new, novel stimulus. There's something that's in your environment that wasn't there before. You have to figure out how to react to it, right? So we all jump in a pile of muck. We're trying to figure out how to get out. We're trying to figure out how to not to sink in the in the quicksand. What we're going to have to start to shoot, fighting the muck and surviving for that short amount of time, it's moving from adaptability to resilience. And resilience being, okay, now we're in the muck, now we're in the, the quicksand. How do we make sure we, we sustain and stay alive and actually start to thrive moving forward? And I think the, the narrative in which we're starting to hear with some of the folks that we work with, our clients, are, are you know, we just had this initial initial crisis, the, the outbreak of the pandemic. We're about, you know, three and a half weeks in right now okay, we survived that first punch, now what? And now we're, now we're transitioning to more of a resilient model, people thinking about 2021, what does that mean for the new future and the normalcy of work? Um, and what we've had to do and what we've had to adapt to as well is that our internal environment has to match the pace of our external. And with the rapid sp- spread of COVID-19 and, and frankly, all the shutdowns and effects which are, which are happening, we've actually matched our in, in- Internal communication flow with the speed of the environment. What that really means is every single morning from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, we are on a, a company meeting with all 100 folks in the McChrystal Group, and we're trying to figure out what's new, um, what still stands from last week because it's that fast where stuff that was last week is outdated now. Um, and then how does that affect the rest of your day moving forward? And because we're on that 24 hour op cycle, we actually have this period of, we, we call it shared consciousness, coming together for a short period of time. And then empowered execution, everybody goes, deviates out, executes on their task and then comes back in that next morning with new information. Um, that's how we've adjusted uh, internally to that.
0: And, and Scott, you mentioned the idea of overworked. And I think as I'm talking to clients, you have clients that have been overworked and and they're taking this time now to maybe be a little bit. Um, and then I have other clients who are in survival mode and trying to find ways to just have their company survive or or keep their job. And then there are some clients who are saying, all right, there's opportunities out here. I'm going to thrive. But as, as you talk about being overworked, what are you seeing? What are you noticing with some of your clients or the people that you're interacting
2: with? So most of my clients are fortune 500, you know, type executives and and their teams. And, you know, honestly, what I'm seeing, I, (laughs) I've been thinking, uh, In the last 24 hours, I have a client that just asked me this morning to do a uh, a presentation for them in a virtual offsite that they're doing for their team next month. And he wants me to talk about just sort of the challenges of working from home right now. And I'm playing around with the idea of having a slide in that presentation where the the acronym WFH uh, transitions and dissolves into the acronym WTF uh because <laughs> i think i think a lot of uh most of the people that i'm talking to over the last two or three weeks obviously from a professional standpoint most professional folks you know folks in professional type jobs are working from home and initially i thought well okay that's going to be good for everybody because they're going to get 2 hours of their day back from not having to get ready to go to work, get to work, come home from work, you know, yada yada, and so that'll be great. Everybody get a little bit more sleep and work out a little bit better, and that'll be they'll be you know more productive. What I'm seeing instead for most people, the stories I'm hearing is, I'm in my home office at 7 a.m. I'm on back to back Zooms all day long, and I'm getting out of the home office at 6:30 or 7. So they're actually working harder. Uh, than they've worked uh, prior to the pandemic, which is unexpected. I think, you know, we keep we keep seeing every morning in the New York Times, there's a, another article on here's the 50 best things on Netflix that you should watch tonight or, you know, these podcasts that you should listen to or whatever. It's like, well, that's kind of like BS for the people I'm working with because they don't have, they have less space. And so, you know, to Sebastian's point about adaptability, uh I, I focus a lot on helping people identify their optimal operating rhythm and i think there are big resets needed right now for most of the people i'm talking with in their op in their new operating rhythm and as sebastian makes the point you know it it's going to change day to day and week to week but being aware of that i think is really key so I, there's a lot more i can say about it but i'll stop with that
0: when I think of operating rhythm, I actually think of, of rowing. And Miranda, uh, I think of you know, rowing a boat and how we have to be in sync and we need to be habitual and together and connected. And so, first of all, you mentioned the heart condition and having to adjust and, and pivot and going through that adversity and finding a new path. Um, so I'm curious if that has helped you or helped you navigate these times for your own business. And then I'd also be curious, sort of as Sebastian and, and Scott are sharing their perspective on what they're noticing and what they're seeing, I'd love to hear that as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the greatest gift I could have ever been given was this heart condition actually, because I think that my, my uncle, my maternal uncle dropped dead when he was 44, super healthy, fit guy uh, from this condition. That's why we found out about it in our family during the autopsy. And I was uh, 14, I think at the time. And you know this first uh, the only at this point dead body that I've seen, like it puts you in touch with your mortality in a different way. Um, and so it's a gift, I think of it as a gift because we never know what tomorrow is going to look like. We just think we do because we have, especially because we live in America, and for the most part, we're um, privileged and educated and we have good jobs. and Our lives are fairly secure in a lot of ways. We have a really good sense or or the ability to predict that tomorrow is going to be okay. And I think this pandemic is really bringing to the forefront, you know, it's bringing a lot of fear up, but fear is just the fact that we're closer to the truth. Like we know now we're more aware of the fact that we really don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. And um, I kind of like that. It's a really scary place to be, but I also kind of like it because I feel like it, it changes how you live with that knowledge. Um, so, um, and it's obviously easy for me to say that sitting in my secure, warm house and I have food and, um, I have a family around me, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a a pretty great spot. So it's easier maybe for me to say that I'm aware of that privilege. Um, but I'm, I, I just, I think of that condition and that awareness of our mortality as a gift or it can be a gift. And I think there's, I'm really interested, interested to see where the world where the economy where business is going to land on the other side of this because i feel like this is there's a lot that needs to change and a lot that could change um and we're not great at changing without being sort of forced uh through some pain and some suffering potentially so it'll be really interesting to see what i'm what i'm noticing with my clients i have a really diverse array of clients like i have ceos of tech startups i also have i have somebody who i'm midway through an engagement with who was laid, you know, recently laid off. I have people who are running nonprofits. I have individual clients who just kind of come to me as they're working through transition. So like really um, different array. Um, And what I've noticed is just um, just how unique everybody's perspective is like, you know, talking to moms who are, you know, solo parenting at home while their husbands are out, you know, um, working in some way, shape or form who are also trying to do full-time jobs Um, it's just been really interesting to see, um, to Scott's point, like it's not, there's not necessarily this feeling of fullness or space where we can explore and maybe think and reflect. And some people I think are getting that, but the people that I'm talking to, um, are not necessarily in that place. They're feeling, um, like they're not doing a very good job with their job because they're trying to parent and, you know, work at the same time, or they're trying to split parenting and working with their spouse. And. Um, Or the thing that I'm also really surprised by that I notice is how much the reality of their lives is still present. Like if they were in a challenging marriage before this moment, that marriage challenge is still there and, and also being affected by this. So it's just really interesting to see how the pandemic exists and the human challenges that people have are still top of mind and still sort of mixed in and wrapped up in it all.
2: the pandemic is probably an amplifier you know for whatever was already there it just makes it that much more stark or intense
3: and i'll jump in there too um i actually i I had a conversation with tim ferris yesterday i interviewed him for my podcast and he said like this if there are any cracks in your foundation this is going to show them Right. This is gonna. He said people are going to cram five years of therapy into like six months or a year because of this, because they're going to be forced to. Right. Like if there are if there are cracks in your foundation, whether, you know, whether psychologically or otherwise, like this is going to expose them. Like you're going to see what you're missing and and what you need to build.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and, and, And Jim, you you are in a sport wrestling, which exposes everybody. Um, and in the sense that it's one-on-one, you train your ass off for it. Rowing in a similar, uh, all three of you are kind of in pain sports. Uh, you know, Sebastian, you too, uh, you know, football is a pain sport, American football. Um, but wrestling is one of the most interesting sports I've worked with because it's one-on-one and you get exposed and you can't cheat because you literally get weighed in like there, you you can't be overweight. You can't, you can't cheat the lifestyle um, that is necessary to compete at that level. And I'm curious for you how that background helps you as you try to help your clients um, and just talk about the exposure to adversity and you are studying failure and adversity on your podcast. So I'd love to hear how you think about that and how it's relevant to what we're going through right now.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. A friend of mine who was <clears throat> at the University of Virginia, hence my background. That, that's yeah. that's my uh, alma mater behind me, if anybody's wondering what the virtual background is. Um, but a friend of mine, who was the uh, two-time national soccer player of the year. He's a Dr. Mike Fisher. Um, I remember after both of our careers were over, we were sitting in the bar having a drink and and he said, you know, Jim, if you're willing to go through enough pain and suffering, you can be good at anything. Mm. And, and that's, that statement has just resonated with me because, <clears throat> because there's a lot of pain and suffering to be good at anything. So, so you know, when you're a student athlete, there's a you're kind of uniquely experiencing that. So, so it, it builds this, this foundation that I talked about, right. It builds this foundation of, of having to deal with pain and suffering, being uncomfortable, having to manage your time and, and in different ways than most of the people around you. Um, so I think that uniquely positions people. And, and even just, even just using stories like that as a context for people. So for example, I I had um, a gentleman named Eric Weinmayer on my podcast and he, he, He's a, he, he summited Mount Everest and he also whitewater kayaked the grand Canyon. I mean, either one of those is a, a lifetime achievement for anybody. Uh, he did both of those and he's blind, you know, like he, he went blind when he was 13 years old. And so you think about, you know, again, going back to what Sebastian said, the adaptability, like, like we are adaptable, people, right? People are adaptable. Like we can figure this out, but you have to be intentional about it. Right. And, and you know, what I've been working with a lot of clients on is, is focus on yourself first, right? Like there's so many things out there that we want to focus on. We got to, you know, for leaders, especially they're, they're, they're focused on, on their teams and their organization and leadership and everything in, in, in their families and everything. Like, and that's important. But what I tell them is like, like, you have to go you have to look in the mirror first. Like you have to focus on yourself first. Like the, the number one thing to start with is what are my core habits? Like what are the things that I have to do so that I can show up as the best version of myself so that I can be the best version of me for the people who I'm leading, uh, for my family, for my community, for my colleagues, etc. Like, and, and it goes down like tactically going, goes, goes down to like things like getting to bed on time, right? Getting enough sleep exercise, nutrition, like just these foundational things, right? Those are the core things that that people identify as like, if I get those right, like those are the 20% of habits that that give me 80% of my results. And, and that, you know, certainly you can, you can look back at, at, as you know, at our time as, as athletes, as student athletes, that it was the same thing. Like, what are these few things that give me the most results? And, and that's what I've been working with a lot of my clients on. It's like being really intentional and in setting goals around being consistent about
4: those core habits.
0: Sebastian, I see your head nodding yeah. a bunch
4: during that. And no, I, I yes. think, I think Jim hit it, man. I was actually on a, a kind of a webinar training for a high school lacrosse team this week. And we talked about what are your five Olympic rings the five Olympic rings. Mine are actually written up on the board right here, which is eat, sleep, hydrate, meditate, and exercise. And if I can do those things every day, I'm in a pretty good stance for for completing my 80 percent of what I got to do. Um, and I urged all the all the student athletes. I said, "Hey, what are your five Olympic rings? If you can figure those things out, um, this whole thing is going to start to get a little bit more structure around it, which I think is what we're all looking for: um, structure within uncertainty. It doesn't mean you actually have to to place that uncertainty."
0: And Scott uh, said. Seb- brought up meditation and I know mindfulness and meditation is a big part of your process. I also know you've had some physical health challenges over the years. So can you talk about meditation and mindfulness and how it's helped you throughout your process and been able to serve the people that you want to serve?
2: Sure. Um, yeah. So Miranda was talking about her, her heart issue uh, and how you, you viewed that as a gift. Uh, my my health story begins with a, a diagnosis of MS uh, back in 2009. So it's been 11 years now since that diagnosis, and I view it as a gift. You know, because the first couple of years after the diagnosis, I. I, I was, I've never been an athlete at the level of any of you guys, <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I viewed myself as a runner, uh, recreational. I'd run some, you know, some community races and things like that, a couple of marathons, but nothing, nothing, no, no great times in the marathons and nothing really serious. But I, I had the mindset of a runner. And to me, that mindset, you know, like if people ask me, like, what do you do? What are, you know, who are you? Runner back then would have been in the top three of my responses, right? Because I think um, I remember there was a book called by Jim Fix years ago called Running, which was kind of the Bible of the early running movement back in the seventies. And I must have read that book four or five times. And he talked about you know you pick a point out on the on the on your distance run, you pick a point out on a road. Like, I'm going to run to that telephone pole out there. You know, that's a half, you know, I can see it a half a mile out. I'm really feeling like crap, but if I just get to that pole, I'll be okay. And then you get there and you say, I'm going to pick another one. And, you know, you just pick another and another, another, and you just, and it's pretty soon you've run 10 miles and you just keep going, right? And it's a very linear kind of approach to life. Well, the MS ended all that pretty quickly. You know, I could barely walk up the stairs, let alone, you know, go on a five or six or seven mile run, which was kind of my norm on the weekends. And um, along with a lot of other things, I grieved the loss of that. I, I could, I've, I've, never found anything that centered me as much as, as running did. Right. And make a long story shorter. I, uh, a friend of ours uh, encouraged me to try out Miranda saw on your bio, you're a 200 hour yoga instructor person. I am too. And I, she encouraged me to get into yoga so that's, and she, she was a health professional who also, also taught yoga and she said, I have really good outcomes with MS and Parkinson's patients with that. And you should do that said, well. So that's a really cool idea. Like I hardly really stand up, so I'm not sure how I'm going to do yoga, but you know, I'll, I'll go try. And the teacher said to me that first night, like I pulled her aside, I have a mask, don't tell anybody, I'm trying to keep it a quiet, quiet thing. It's okay. We have people like you here all the time. So here's the deal I'll make you. If you come here, Three days a week, it'll change your body. If you come here more than three days a week, it'll change your life. And so I started going more than three days a week. And the physical improvement came relatively quickly. Within four to six weeks, I started noticing better flexibility and better strength and um, all that. Over time, I noticed deeper changes. And so, like, and then started doing more reading going to conferences. I'd been a meditation dabbler over the years, like John Kabat-Zinn's book, uh, wherever you go, there you are. was kind of like a big early book for me on, on meditation. Uh, but I would come and go on it. But then I went to a conference. Uh, there's a conference in San Francisco every year called wisdom 2.0, uh, where they have John Kabat-Zinn and a bunch of other really interesting people to, uh, come to speak every year. And they had researchers there from UCSF one year, about Five years ago, and they're talking about a woman named Elizabeth Blackburn, who's our Nobel Prize winner, and she and her team study uh, telomeres. and telomeres are protective caps on the ends of your chromosomes that keep your chromosomes and your genetic expression fully operative. And you want them to be long. Uh, that's a a, a, health, a long telomere is a healthy telomere. and there's an enzyme in your body called telomerase that, encourages telomeres to stay long and healthy and among other things their research showed that as little as 12 minutes a day of mindful meditation mindful breathing uh in increases the amount of telomerase improves the the efficacy of the telomeres and all that i'm thinking well crap if i've got ms why am i not meditating every damn day you know and so i just started doing that and that was back in 2013 and i'm pretty much a daily meditator at this point And and so, Brian, your question was, "What's it done for me?" Um, A lot of things. I I think it makes me less reactive, um, you know, just to what's going on in the world. Um, It gives, you know, I think it was uh, Viktor Frankl that talked about the biggest difference between humans and any other animal in the animal kingdom. Is as the human race or the human species has the ability to to control the gap between stimulus and response. You know, we just don't we don't have to automatically react. We can create some distance between stimulus and and response and the action. I think meditation helps a lot with that. And I think I think that's really important in times like this. It's a, a you know pandemic. You know, it's first pandemic I've ever lived through. Have you guys ever been through a pandemic before? No, first one. That's <laughs> yeah, my first one too. So we're all we're all doing our first pandemic together.
4: I'm with uh, one. I don't think we need any more.
2: Yeah, exactly. But I I don't know. I just feel like, with the exception of the first few days where I kind of had to kind of like re reset my own operating rhythm. You know, just kind of an observation mode. You know, and it's like, okay, what's going on here? I was about mindfulness, Brian, being the combination of two things awareness plus intention. You know, it's awareness of the external environment and my internal reaction or responses to that physiologically and mentally and emotionally, and whatever. It's um, hey, Scott. And then so, prepare, I can be intentional. Like, what do I need to do next? And I'm really just trying to keep myself in that space of longer reaction and response times. And that's what I'm trying to help my clients with as well.
0: It's Interesting because you talked about running and, and running to the post and running to the post and running to the post. And by the way, I'm mm-hmm. officially the least uh, qualified athlete on the panel, just so we're clear, Scott. I haven't run a I, marathons.
3: You and I probably compete for marathons. So, uh, we're all over uh, the hill now, so it doesn't matter.
0: Yoga yeah. instructor, marathon, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've observed and thought about how there's a difference between yoga, yogis and marathon runners and Mm -hmm. you know marathon runners have a relationship with pain and just keep going yogi is uh, definitely when i do yoga there's pain but it's creating a relationship with that pain and and using it to learn about yourself and to sit sit in a little bit and it's it's just more of a head deal but as i'm hearing you all talk i'm recognizing like scott you run ran marathons miranda rowing sebastian football Jim wrestling I call those pain sports, um, and I I do. I think they're all sports that you have to develop a relationship with pain. And I'm hearing you all talk about what we're all going through right now, and there's an element of pain. And for some, it's that they're not able to run to that next post. They actually just have to stay in their house. And uh, there are some whose company is just saying, hey, we just need you to do nothing right now. You're furloughed. Like, just don't do anything. Uh, And and then there's others who – are, are trying to just be and there's others that are focused on growth. So I'm going to open this up to the group and I just love to hear you all riff on where you're at personally and how you're showing up and what some of the conversations you're having with the people that you serve have been like As maybe a lot of them, it sounds like are runners, they're the ones that are usually like Mm -hmm. going, 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 whether they're Fortune 500 or tech CEO or Seb, I know at McChrystal Group, you guys are working with high achievers. Jim, your work is around a lot of people that are high achievers. So what the question is really like, what are you observing or noticing? What are things that you're talking about with your clients to help them navigate this time where maybe they can't just keep running to that next post?
3: Hmm. I'll jump in first um uh I'm actually going to be a marathoner as of saturday at eleven a m uh I hope to be calling myself a marathoner, so I'm running my first marathon this week. I was supposed to be running in Pittsburgh, but it got canceled of course so is that on the um, treadmill so we'll see what are you doing uh no we're we're doing around town we've got uh we've got a route map route mapped out and and uh we're gonna be outside on trails and and you know keeping our social myself and uh one training partner so um awesome. but uh you know, it's interesting. So I I have these clients and my work is, is personal performance. It's personal performance coaching. Um, there's a most, mostly leaders, right? Most of the folks who I work with are leaders and it's interesting when you talk to the folks who you know, they're going to crush it and you know, they're going to be okay. They're using the word opportunity. They're like, I've got, a, I've got a client in the, in the finance industry hemorrhaging money. I mean, in, in incredibly, you know, just suffering, hurt right now, hit, right, bad, right, his business. He keeps talking about opportunity, right? And he's so positive right now. And it's incredible to watch this, right? I, I know he's going to be fine, right? He's, he's choosing a mindset. He's choosing to look at this in a certain way. And, and the way he does it is by serving. And, and that's how I've chosen sort of independently of even conversations with him is like, I've chosen like, this is my time to serve, right? Like certainly my business has taken a hit. I'm not able to do speaking opportunities right now. Like, you know, there's, they're all canceled. Um, I've got coaching clients who, uh, their, their company can't pay for it anymore. Um, people are trimming budgets, people are you know fearful and there's uncertainty. So, um, but it's like, what a great opportunity to serve. And you use that word, Brian, to serve. And I think everybody on this call has this mindset. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this business and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be successful in this business if you don't start from a servant heart. And that's everybody. Like, I don't care what you do, but if you start from the mindset of serving, of caring, it it, it does many things for you. Number one, reignites that purpose. If you felt like you've lost any purpose. And I know a lot of people have struggled with that. They're working from home. They don't have that, that direction. I have some clients who, uh, they, they're leaders of, uh, private schools and they're at home and they're not seeing their staff every day. They're not seeing their students every day. And they've kind of, they feel a little bit adrift and we always work on creating that purpose like find how, how can you serve I had a conversation with this this one woman yesterday and we, we identified specific things that she can do to serve that align with her core values and align with who she is and by the time we got off the phone she was like fired up and ready to rock you know and and that's it it's like start with that servant heart find out who you can help and how you can help them and be creative right like I'm doing a lot of I'm getting a lot of doors opened right now that were never opened before because I'm, I'm serving through doing these virtual talks, like 15 to 30 minute talks for organizations who they, they, they want their team to approach this with, uh, with the right mindset, um, to deal with adversity, to deal with change and, and to be productive through this and to feel purpose through this. And, and they're opening the doors where these are places that I couldn't have, couldn't have gotten into before. And, and now there's these amazing opportunities. So how can you serve? Like start every day with thinking like that. How can I serve and how can I think outside of the box? serving and helping and making the world a better place.
0: I love it. It's probably been the one constant through every single discussion I've had on here is that when adversity hits, look outward instead of inward. And, And certainly to your point about putting your own oxygen mask on first before you serve others, that's important, but we have to serve ourselves. And then once we're in a pretty good spot, we need to serve others. Uh, if anyone else has anything else on that front, feel free. And I'm going to pose another, yeah, question. I, I heard, yeah, I saw some head
3: shaking. I'm curious to hear from, from the others in the group as well on that. Like what, what, like what challenges are your clients facing in and, and how are you helping them, you know, have the right mindset about, about this
4: challenge? I've seen it on a, on a poll. Um, the poll being, I've got what Scott was talking about, 70 hours of work and I got a, you know, there's no, there's no separation between work and home anymore. Then I've also had friends that are saying, Hey, I, I have like nothing to do. I have way less workload. Clients aren't demanding as much. And it's interesting, right? Um, again, that's the population that we see, right? There's an entire population, marginalized population population that we're not getting access to any of what they've got going on and their situations a lot more dire. Um, but I'll talk to, I mean, to the conversations that I have been having, some actually had a, a coaching conversation with a client yesterday Um, and it circled around permission for grace. That was the first word, Brian, when you asked that question, like, how are you framing this with people that you're talking to was with the, the the word grace and the permission to feel all the feelings, the stress, the, um, anxiety, the fear, um, for some people it's, there's a solidarity for some people. There's a calm in all this because it actually means they get to slow down a little bit that's all okay. And I think what we have to make sure that we're doing is, and giving pe- permission for people not to be wrong. Um, and I think we all have a, a certain stance on how we should be framing this. And, and with every person, it's gonna be an individual one. So giving yourself the grace, I think is probably the most important conversation that I've had. Um, and I've really had to work through it. Last week, I was I was at the 70-hour work week, grind, grind, grind. And this week, I really stepped back and um, gave myself more grace around it. And it's been a much more productive stress positive stress type week um for me so permission for grace mm-hmm.
0: you know for, for me i'll just jump in and say that grace plus intention because um i i think people there are a lot of people that are having a relationship with themselves for the first time in a long time and that i agree with you seb like grace to feel that and feel what comes with that. Kind of like a hour long yoga class. Um, oh wow, this hurts. And I'm not sure I like not being busy or being too busy and what that feels like. So I think you're right on there. And like, I had a client this morning I checked in with and he said, I'm kind of bored. And I said, okay, well, what can we do with being bored? Like, what do you, what do you want? And Two weeks ago, we chatted and he wanted that. He wanted to just be with his family, spend some time, you know, taking his kids for walks or throwing the ball or, or just being, because he hasn't really done that in a long time. And he's sort of now wants to reengage. And so we talked about like what long term items can he work on and that can maybe help him down the road and really using this time to plan and, and, and get organized. And I think uh, for I had a client yesterday, the same thing where they were in just like survival mode. Now they're sort of coming out of that. And I sort of challenged them to Jim's point of like, well, what opportunities exist for you? And he hadn't taken any time to really do that. And that's where I think coaching, and we all know this, it just allows you to have some space to be intentional in a way that if you just leave it to your own vices, you might not be. And so I've encouraged all of my clients to your point, Seb, there is no right way to handle this. And my challenge to them is like, hey, what do you want out of this experience? Especially in April, because April came and all of a sudden we, we did have some certainty that things were not going to go back to normal once, it, you know, the rest of April. And so up until that time, we weren't quite sure, is it going to be Easter? Is it going to be this? Like when it's like now it's like April hit. So now I think what I've been most impressed at with my clients is the ones that said, okay, I know some of what's going to happen over the next month what do I want to intentionally do? And it could be watching Netflix. It could be reading books. It doesn't have to necessarily equate to more profit, but I think the intention piece has been big. Miranda, I'm curious to get your perspective on all of this.
1: Uh, Yeah, I agree, Sebastian, with you. The, um, one of the trainings that I, that I did, and actually I'm still in right now, um, after Georgetown, I've been doing a program called narrative coaching, which I've really enjoyed. Um, Dr. David Drake runs that program and, I've learned a lot from him. Um, and what I like about it most is that it, I feel like it's brought me back to sort of my center as a coach, um, sort of things that I feel like I knew intuitively when I first started coaching about meeting the person where they're at meeting them in their story. Um, what's important, what's true and important for them right now. And so, um, you know, for some people, you know, they're thinking about their mindset. They're thinking about the business opportunities. I was on the phone with a client this morning who got laid off and she's glad because she feels like she never would have had the guts to, to leave the company. She's laid off and now she's started a website and she's building her own uh, business now and she feels like she has the freedom to do that. So it's just so different. It's so unique how each person is sort of, in each conversation is about what that person is feeling right now, what they're in right now. And then what they need out of the coaching conversation right now. So again, it's one of the reasons why I just, I love this job because I never know what the conversation is going to be about. I never, even when I think I know where it's going to go, or I I have that um, voice in the back of my brain that's trying to figure it out. And I'm like, shut up, shut up. You're not helpful here. (laughs) Like stop trying to figure out the problem and just be with the person in front of you. Like let them go where they need to go. And for some of them, yeah, they're stepping into a really great positive, growth mindset and there's some people that um they they need some permission they need some more grace they need to breathe just for a moment and so I I just I love that I love that our job calls us to be creative in the moment and to be present in the moment and to be with somebody in the moment what and to hold space for them to have whatever feelings and whatever situation circumstance that is because um, I think whatever that is, them identifying that is going to help them move forward in the way that they want to, versus coming in and being like, let's get to a, let's get to a growth mindset together. As good as that sounds, and as important as we all know that that is.
2: You know, one of one of the things thinking about what you're saying and talking about, Miranda, with, especially at the end there, where you kind of like, let's get to that, right? You know, that bump, 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 and and Brian the. uh, you said something earlier that sparked a thought that, you know, I think we think, well, it be, we'll be back by April or, okay, April's here. We're not going to be back yet. And I think what this is going to do for everybody. Uh, and again, especially the driven people who like, if I do this, this happens is it's going to force us to get comfortable with not knowing what's going to happen and not being able to say, well, it's going to be by Easter, it's going to be by Memorial Day, who the hell knows? None of us know. And and we have some measure of impact on it if we stay home and if we do the public health things that they tell us to do and all that, but it's out of our control, right? And And so I... So that brings me to a couple of things, I guess. One is the, you know, the Buddhist concept of non-attachment to outcomes or the Hindu. I mean, you know, Gandhi talked about that a lot in regard to every action one must note the result that is expected to follow. That's a Gandhi quote, right? So doesn't mean you don't take action and it doesn't mean that you, but it doesn't mean that you are wedded to that particular result. If I, if, you know, there's a cause and effect scenario here. And if I, if I do certain things, if I show up certain ways, if I have my five rings, like Sub was talking about, or Jim was talking about that, I talk about that with my clients too. What are the routines, physical, mental, relational, spiritual, that'll help you be at your best. What outcomes would you hope or expect to see in the big arenas of life? If you're showing up at your best, that's all still good. But this is a huge reminder that we don't know. And there's only so much control that we have. Right. I, I'm, I, I've been thinking a lot about what I think of as the time frames of mind and it's kind of like verb tenses past, present, and future. And you can kind of step back and observe yourself. Where's my head right now? You know, is is it kind of stuck in the past? Like, Oh shit, this was going so well. Like I was reading about in the wall street journal this morning, what was supposed to happen for Brian Chesky and and his team at Airbnb this year was an IPO and their best year ever and blah, blah, blah. And so a month ago or five or six weeks ago, that was the future for Airbnb. Well, of course, today it's in the toilet, right? And so, but that's today, you know, who knows what's it's going to be six months from now. They may bounce back. They may not, you know, who knows, right? But if you could, get, if you get stuck in that past tense, oh gosh, I have so much feeling of loss or disappointment or whatever that that didn't happen. Then you can go ahead to the future, and like it's like okay, the, a lot of the negative, not negative, but less helpful energy that we can spend on t- over-indexing on the future is a f- fear and anxiety and whatever else. And I think it's just good to notice how am I feeling? Am I feeling a sense of loss? Am I feeling a sense of fear and anxiety? Either one of those means I'm not here right now, (laughs) you know, in the, in the present tense. And, and so then you get to the question, okay, what can I do now in regard to every action? What actions can I take right now that could make a positive difference? Don't know for sure that they will, but experience would tell me that they might. So what can I do right now that would help with that?
3: Scott, can I follow up with a question? Um, And I want to sort of address the, the listeners and the viewers right now. Like, so we're, you have an opportunity to listen to five folks who like we get, paid well to, to really help people. So I hope people are like really tune into like some of these things that they're being said because they're super helpful for me. And Scott, you mentioned uh, routines, like you mentioned, I think physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, is that what you said? I said
2: physical, mental, relational, and spiritual. Right.
3: So is this, are these like the categories of routines that you help, uh, help your clients identify?
2: Yeah, I, 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 have this in a one page framework called the life GPS. Um, And so it's three questions that you answer for yourself and capture on a page. And then that page becomes a reference point. You know, it's like putting a, a, an address in Google maps or whatever. Not that any of us do that anymore, but back when we used to use Google maps, (laughs) (laughs) it'd be interesting to know how much, what's, what's your usage rate been since last since last way down. Uh, But you know there's a latitude and a longitude associated with that address you know then google maps and the satellites up there and the gps system are iterating and calibrating against your phone basically to keep adjusting your route to get you there so very low tech version for my analogy the, the, the your answers to the questions of how am i at my best what are the routines physical relation, physical, physical mental relational and spiritual that I either have in my life or need in my life to make it more likely that I show up at my best. And then finally, the last question is, if I'm doing that and and at my best more often than not, what outcomes would I hope or expect to see in three big arenas of life? My life at home, my life at work, my life in my community. And so, you know, little short answers, and it's not like if I don't hit this, I'm a failure. It's just like directionally, where am I trying to go? What adjustments do I need to make today to get myself back on a better path? And so that's I've been talking about that with folks for years and writing about that for years.
3: Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks for having me,
0: Jim. You have you have frameworks too that you leverage and and help you navigate your work with leaders and help them be their best. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, sure. There's 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 sort of an overarching framework, and I can I can reference that. But I think probably the a, a big takeaway for for the listeners and viewers right now that is some like real value and and maybe even tactical that they can, they can apply after this is over, uh, this conversation is done is so, so I ask all of my podcast guests, again, these, these world-class performers from, from all different walks of life. I say, you know, what's the one habit that you most credit with your success for your success. And, you know, for the, for the, for the professional athlete or Olympic gold medalist, it's never the training for the billionaire investor. It's never the investing for the New York Times bestselling author, it's never the writing. It's always things like uh, journaling or working with the coach or prayer or meditation, or uh, things like uh, planning my week in advance, right? So people will sit down on Sunday night and look at their calendar and plan their week in advance, right? There's some people who say, it's, uh, you know, every year, my wife and I will we'll take a, a weekend retreat, and we'll just kind of look at our year in, 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 pa- in the past and plan our year ahead you know and just really set our goals you know bill gates has his think week and and so it's never doing right we always want to do 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 go 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 and you know i look back at my time as an athlete and if i was to boil down like what is the one hour that was the most valuable hour that i spent the entire season for any given season and it was never training it was never watching film it was never you know rehabbing an injury it was always that one hour when I sat down at the beginning of the season with my coach and coaching staff and set my goals, made my plan for the year. Like that's the one hour you could boil it down to one. hour. Like what's the one thing it's that right. And so, so I've coined the, the the term productive pause and a productive pause is this. It's a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. And So I'm having this conversation with Tim Ferriss yesterday and I asked him that question. It was, you know, what's the one habit? And and it came back to this. It's these, how do you get outsized results? And because he talked about his day, he's like, you know, I procrastinate and I have a slow, you know, this morning routine and what he's like, I don't really, I'm not that like driven and go, go, go. It's these questions. So what are some of these questions? Like, well, you could ask yourself, like, what's the one thing that I'm not doing right now that if I were, would most move me towards my goals? Like, um, things like that, right? Like things that cut through the, the psychological red tape, like what are, you know, the 80-20 rule, like what are the 20% of things that give me 80% of my results, right? And I, have a, I had a podcast guest recently who kind of took that two degrees further. He said, you know, what are the 20, you know, we know the 80-20. He's like, well, what if you took the 20% of the 20%? That would give you 80% of the 80%. <laughs> and then he said what if he took it one level further and follow me here I'll, I'll do the math for you but he said what if you took 20% of the 20% of the 20% that would give you 80% of the 80% of the 80% which is about 1% of your efforts give you about 50% of your results if you do the math on that and and it's powerful to think of and it's liberating to think of like I don't have to do everything but I've got to do a few things. I've got to do a few things well, right? And if I'm a leader, a lot of times that's, that's you know, it, it's the looking in the mirror. It's putting my own oxygen mask on first. It's taking care of myself. Um, a lot of times that's communication. A lot of times that's listening right now, especially listening and being compassionate. Like, what are the few things that you can do right now? And that's a framework that I really coach people to think about, right? Hit the pause button. Like, don't wake up, sit at your computer, you know, read coronavirus updates for a half an hour, mm-hmm. and, then, and then open your email inbox and, and get sucked into that vortex. And then before you know it, at the end of the day, you know, 10 hours later, you're working from home and you got 100 thing. you went 100 miles an hour all day, you got 100 things done, but you don't feel like you really advanced the ball, right? Jim, it's interesting.
0: It's interesting you're saying that. So, when you ask, like, what's, what's the one habit? And I admittedly, uh, discipline is a challenge for me. Exercise, eating, um, like, I am not a wake up at 5 a.m. Um, disciplined human. And um, I know that whether you wanted to or not, definitely Miranda, Sebastian, and Jim, your college experience forced you to be um, that in some regard. For me, like my unfair advantage or like the habit that I have is actually more mindset related, which is interesting because you brought that up earlier. It is more that when others see things that can't be done, I see opportunity. And so for me, like my habit is like, I'm an idea guy. I'm always creating ideas. Hence within a couple days of this thing happening i'm like let's put out these panel discussions and then i don't have a whole lot of fear of what will happen if that doesn't work and so like my what i probably do daily is a habit of creating something and and being fearless enough to try it and not be overly concerned with the judgment of what might happen if it doesn't work and I'm not suggesting that that's helped me maximize my capacity. I think, like exercise, for example, I've actually exercised more during this whole thing than before because I've been cognizant of my ability to do it and working from home as opposed to going to the office and so on and so forth. But I'm—it's interesting because when you asked for a habit, my my mind went to like framework and approach, um, and so I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that.
3: This is back at me or the group. it it was kind
0: of back at you but anyone anyone can jump in as well
3: so i mean the framework that 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 is it's it's probably a bigger framework than than we can really go deep on in this conversation but it's like like when i was competing and this is for helping people find you know clarity in their life and find purpose in their life and and uh feel like they're living in balance because balance is is hard and and it's maybe even harder right now, certainly for some people, it's a lot harder right now. Um, but when, in, in living like in, in alignment with what I value, well, first you have to do, you have to do the work to figure out what, it is, what is it that I value, right? Um, what are my core values? And then and then you add on top of that, you, you layer on top of that, like aligned goals. Like a lot of times people are setting goals based on, you know, what's parked in their neighbor's driveway or what they're seeing on social media or what the mass media tells them that they should want. Um, but like when you create aligned goals, you can do really hard things like being a student athlete, right? And, and running marathons, things like, like you can, when you figure that out, you, you create goals based around that, you know, what's in here as opposed to what's out there, these external things. Yeah. And like then failure becomes a little uh, a little less painful, right? I mean, failure doesn't change what you value.
0: All right. That was really helpful because I think for me, I'm, I'm clear on values and I'm clear on like my my why is humanity. I want to service humanity. How do I do it through learning and connection? And so like for me, I just go toward that on a regular basis. and, And so I don't get stuck because I am always thinking about how I can help others. And so like that is a overarching theme. And then that it's clear. It's like, is this going to help someone or possibly help someone that it's worth doing? If it's not, I probably stay away from it. And it allows me to do hard things because I'm le- leaning into my values. I want to shift a little bit and get into what gets in the way for leaders during a time like this. Because Scott, you were hitting on this a little bit. Like there, There's also elements of what would get in the way of a leader being a great leader. And certainly we are watching leaders step up and serve their people. And it doesn't take much to see leaders that are not doing that. And so, Sebastian or Miranda, I'd love to get your perspective on also anything you're observing or noticing about leaders who are struggling with this experience. And I think, Scott, you hit on this is like, look, we went from January and February, Airbnb, like they were probably having their best two months in the history of the earth. And the world was, you know, end of February, everybody was the world was amazing. And from a financial standpoint, and then it's like March is like, holy crap. And now we're in April and we're like a little unsure. Um, So I'm curious what you guys have observed or noticed uh, from leaders who might not be handling this adversity well, because there's a lot to learn from that as much as there is from people that are doing great work during this time. So Miranda, maybe we'll go with you and then Sebastian, feel free to jump in and, and then we'll just, we'll toss it around and popcorn around as I see a lot of heads nodding.
1: Yeah. um, So much of what I, so much of my business is is almost primarily individual coaching clients. I have a little bit of team coaching work that I do, um, but most of it is individual. So I guess I have less of a chance to see other than the stories that they're telling me about their, you know, failures as it were, what's kind of getting in the way for them. Um, But I think this is a fundamental truth we can all most likely I would imagine agree on is that, you know, we're in a space where there's a, a pretty intense amount of stress being placed on us. And as human beings, we, um, when we succumb to those emotions we can be highly reactive. So I'm definitely seeing that, you know, and there's and literally with the pace of the way things are changing in the world there, it feels the world pre pandemic. Didn't feel like there was for a lot of people, a lot of professionals in particular, didn't feel like there was a lot of space to pause and to reflect. We know that that's a great way to do it, but I think the average person comes to us and struggles with that at times. And now with the pace of the way things are changing, it can feel really tough. Like I talked to a client last week um, or a week ago on Monday and he was kind of like, yeah, he runs a law firm. He's like, things kind of business as usual And, and, and just in a week when we talked next, He had furloughed all of his non-lawyer workers, the entire business, you know, like everything was different in seven days and a lot had happened between those conversations and it just had to happen. And he definitely talked to me and he was like, yeah, you know, there's some parts of that where I didn't think I showed up as my best self, but he kind of had to just be his best self in that moment. But I think the reactivity is probably a lot of, uh, I'm curious to hear from the rest of you all, but I know that when I'm talking to people a lot of what we're doing is, is that self-regulation management uh, in times of crisis, but love to hear from the group.
4: The, the reactivity, I think is what I want to jump off of that. Um, we run, we, you know, we run a system of uh, different network analysis, analyses for, from a crystal group. And one of the things we actually ran on ourselves, we were able to figure out the informal network, the informal mentor network, um, that happens organically at McChrystal Group, and we ended up pulling that group together of about eight to ten people, um, and we're now going to be meeting on a weekly cadence. And um, I was, you know, named one of those people that was kind of, inf- you know, informal, influential network type people that people go to, the source of of energy, of direction, of of things like that. And for my junior cohort, that's that's kind of the role I play. What I realized on Wednesday when we had that meeting was I was exhausted, and I was exhausted because I was having these conversations over the weekend, at night, after work hours of with some of my junior teammates and even some of the people above me, just, hey, how you doing? What's going on for you? And if you're an empath, like a lot of leaders are, you take on and you hold those emotions with you, right? So I think that to your question, Brian, okay, so what is not working? I'll tell you what wasn't working for me and what I've talked to some of my peers about was when you're trying to be a source for other people, oftentimes you gotta figure out what's your source. And for me, again, this week is I have a a determined uh nine thirty I'm not talking or face timing anybody else because there's a point in which I need to re- recoup and, re- and regenerate and re and source myself again um so for the individual level I think that's that's how I would look at that one but like you know where are you source where are you sourcing and where are you being sourced is a really important distinction to be able to make
2: like that to kind of jump in on on both uh, what miranda and and, and sub said and Seb, very early in the conversation today you mentioned the word adaptability mm-hmm. and Brian, to your setup question, I, I think a challenge that a lot of not just leaders, I think everybody is is grappling with right now, is adjusting their expectations and and adapting to the new reality. And I, I think I've I've started thinking a lot in the last couple of weeks about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. And, you know, there's five layers to that pyramid and it just kind of work from the bottom up. It's physiological needs, you know, just the basic physiology of living a little bit, the next layer above that is a little bit, uh, more enhanced needs for safety, like employment, which is obviously a big issue right now or health, which is clearly the issue right now. And then the third layer is love and belonging. And then you get up to the top, uh, it's uh, self-esteem and self-actualization is the top of the pyramid. And I think, you know, in in the pre-pandemic, Dow at 29,700, you know, on February 24th or whatever the date was, uh, probably a lot of emphasis on self-esteem and self-actualization with a lot of the people that we work with. And, you know, I'm going to go nail the biggest goal I've ever had in my life, right? And all of a sudden that's blown up. And we're back to the first three layers of the hierarchy, and your your peep, If you're a leader, your peep, That's where your people are. I mean, how many? The fact that we're doing this is an is an example of the need for love and belonging, right? The fact that we're having this conversation, and that Brian, that you're sharing it. where people need connection right now. And that's the top, that is now the top of the pyramid <laughs> in this moment is the need for connection. Then we can talk about safety and this, you know, we talked about safety and physiological needs before that. And I think if, if you're not pivoting from your almost reflexive need for self-esteem and self-actualization, if you're a leader and we're going to have the best year ever and blah, 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 if you're not letting go of that, and focusing on the more basic needs that not just your team, but that you yourself have, whether you recognize it or not, or acknowledge it or not, you're not going to be as successful in this moment as you could be.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, Scott Barry Kaufman just came out with a book called Transcend, and he talks about the hierarchy of needs and rethinking the hierarchy of needs. And I was listening to a podcast with him the other day. And it, it's interesting because that hierarchy is such a simple concept. And I think Scott talks about we go from, it's not like we just get to arrive and then we're at self-actualization all the time. Like there's stuff that comes up that can change our perspective on where we're at. And there's two things that I'm just going to share. One is I had one client talk about, they had to make really hard decisions and it mattered for the survival of the company and the other two leaders that that person was going to rely on to make those decisions were not stepping up to the plate and they weren't willing to step into the tough calls that the company needed. And that leader had been so collaborative in their approach for so long. And that leader knew in their gut, in their instincts, what needed to happen. They didn't know hundred percent, but you never know hundred percent. And they were in a struggle because they were used to getting the advice and consultation from their people and they weren't getting it and out of fear. And so when we talked, I did not tell that client what to do, but I just replayed everything that the person said to me during our call. And it was so clear what they needed to do. And so I think what's getting in the way sometimes is people that are used to collaborating. And unfortunately, when you're a leader, sometimes you just have to make decisions that are not going to be 100% and are going to have some potential negative consequences and and pitfalls. And that's part of the job. And um, it comes with the territory. And then on the flip side of that, I've heard a lot of leaders say, I need to, to to Seb's point, I need to give myself some grace. Like, I can't carry this entire load on my shoulders. And vulnerability is important right now. And, um, you know, I think many of us saw the Marriott CEO a couple weeks ago, provide uh, information to their people in a very vulnerable way, but also hopeful and optimistic. And like, we can carry two things at once. So just because you're vulnerable doesn't mean you still can't be hopeful. And Um, so I think what is getting in the way for some leaders is that they feel like they just have to say, everything's fine, everything's good. And, and, you know, there is nothing wrong here when, if you are the CEO of Airbnb, that's just not reality. And so the ability to still take care of your people and still take care of your company and still take care of yourself is a lot. And I think it's presenting a lot of challenges for a lot of leaders. And the more that they can step into those pieces while not, burning themselves out to Seb's point earlier and making sure that they, the only way they can serve their team is if they're serving themselves first uh, and taking care of themselves. Those are all challenges that I think people I'm, I'm hearing it every day. Um, Just the, the, the boat has been rocked. The pain Mm -hmm. is here and you all talked about pain earlier uh, when we're going through pain, it ain't that fun. Miranda, when you were going through that heart problem, you know, when you first got hit, it, it probably didn't land so great. And Scott, when it you first got that diagnosis, those first, you know, there's there is a grieving point. There is a part of why me. There is a victimhood that goes on. And. To a lot of your points, right now it's happening day to day for a lot of people. And what happens to Miranda's point today might change a week from now. And so when we're in the storm and we're in a hurricane or tornado and we're in that eye, like it's hard to have perspective. Uh, Jim, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on everything that I'm talking about.
3: Yeah, I think it goes back to like, like you know, we talked about grace. Um, there's information that changes day to day. Like, like for the leaders that are, that are listening, like you're going to make the best decision you can with the information that you have right now. And when you look back tomorrow on this decision, it may be the wrong decision. You may have made the wrong decision and like make the next right decision, like make the next right choice. And, and if you can always kind of, live with that, especially in a time right now where, where, you know, things are changing day to day. Right. I remember just a few weeks ago when uh, you know, the NCAA and, and all the, the um, professional sports, they were like talking about, you know, playing games and competitions without fans. And then they had to make the choice of, you know, and then you saw some universities not choosing not to send their student athletes to the national championships. And then, and then the NCAA had to make the tough decision to to cancel everything. Like, Like yeah, you might make the wrong decision today. Make make the best next best decision with the information that comes in tomorrow.
0: Right, and I think a lot of people are struggling because we've turned to analytics in, in sports, in business. Like we've used analysis, like even financial people right now. I remember a couple weeks ago, they're like, "All right, we're at the bottom. This is the bottom based on our." Our uh, tracking systems, and it's like, well, you've never been through to Scott's point, you've never been through this before, so you don't know. And I think the one appreciation that all of us have in sports is sports is an unknown, and you don't know who's going to win, and that's one of the things I've come to grips with with this whole thing is to create a relationship with the unknown because we just don't know. And let's, let's actually see what happens. And to your point, Jim, let's just try to do the best we can with what we got. And sometimes we got to rely on instincts and gut. Um, and sometimes we have to go to the data and sometimes we need to blend them. Um, so here's what I'd like to do to, to start to wind down. Um, first of all, I'd like for each of you to ask a question to another panelist. So something that they said that you're curious to learn more about or something in their background that you'd like to learn from them. Um, and if you don't have a question, maybe share an insight that you gleaned from one of the other panelists today. And I'm going to talk a little bit more to give you some time to think about it. And so the other, the other thing I'd like for you to do is to share where people can find you. Uh, social media, if you're there, or a website um, or a book or whatever you want to promote or whatever you're passionate about that you want to send people too. So I'm going to ask you to share um, either an insight or a question that you have, and also share the information as far as where people can find you. Miranda, we'll start with you. Then we'll go to Sebastian. Then we'll go to Jim and we'll end with Scott. So Miranda, go ahead.
1: Scott, I'd love to ask you a question.
2: Okay, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm scared suddenly. I'm why, why nervous.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't think it'll make you nervous. I'd love to know, like, I've just what's been resonating for me, and maybe it was Brian as you wrapped up so nicely, but hearing hearing from us all, um, just this nature of like being in this uncomfortable place and being in pain. So I'd just love to hear a little bit more from you about um, how have you taken some painful and. It, obviously answer what you feel comfortable with um how have you taken some of the pain that you've experienced to move you forward in your life hmm.
2: yeah so the biggest thing that i've learned from ms is everything is temporary um i i can which is actually serving me really well right now <laughs> serves me well all the time but i think especially in this moment that we're all in um and what i mean by that is um there are, unfortunately for me, less and less frequently, but there are days with MS where you wake up and you just feel like crap. You know, it's like I said there were days where I've, I I describe it as feeling like a a tube of toothpaste being squeezed. You know, like my whole body's just being squeezed and it's just like, you know, like I'm, I don't know, it's really hard to describe. Um, And then what I've also learned though is that's not a predictor of the rest of my life. I'm not going to feel that way tomorrow necessarily. Um, I may not even feel that way this afternoon, <laughs> you know, if I wake up that way. And 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 you know, so it's just all temporary. And the conditions change. And if it's great, terrific. Enjoy it. And also know it's not always gonna be great. And if it sucks. Uh, I'm sorry about that, and you know it's not, it doesn't feel good to have it suck right now. But it's not always going to suck, you know. That Brian, I was thinking before you posed the the close. Uh, I've been thinking about this story a lot in the last couple of weeks. It's a pretty well known story about Jim Stockdale, who was the highest uh, ranking officer in the Hanoi Hilton during the Vietnam War. He's an admiral when he was captured, and they offered to let him go uh, for a propaganda, you know, reason, you know, the Admiral, but he, he refused to be let go because it wouldn't send the right signal to everybody else in, in the armed services. And what Stockdale said later was that the people who survived the experience of being in the Hanoi Hilton uh, were those that believed they got, were going to get out Uh, and they did eventually, the people who didn't survive said, I'm going to get out by Christmas or I'm going to get out by Easter or whatever, pick a date and Easter would come and go. Christmas would come and go and they're still there. And eventually their, their systems break, their physiological systems break down because of the emotional response to not getting out when they thought they were. And so it's, it's back to this, um, quote from Napoleon Bonaparte that I like a lot that a leader's job is two parts the first is is to define reality and the second is to offer hope and so the reality right now is reasonably clear it's you know it sucks at the moment but if you look at the breadth of human history really human history would show you and does show us that we'll get through this in some fashion we don't know what the back end of it looks like but as a human race. We're going to get through this and you can pull it back in and I pull it back in to the micro micro of myself. You know, I'm going to get through this. And that's anyway, long story short, that's what I've learned from MS. And, you know, thanks for asking the question. That wasn't as scary as I thought it would be.
0: Good. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) Miranda, where can people learn more about the work that you're doing?
1: Uh, they can go to my website, MirandaHolder.com.
0: Awesome, thank you, Miranda. And something to know about Miranda: Miranda moved from Washington D.C. to where are you in uh, Vermont? Where Maine? Somewhere up. North. Yeah,
1: I, I'm in Vermont. My my Vermont. husband works at Dartmouth College, so we're and that's right on the border of New Hampshire and Vermont. So we we are on the Vermont side.
0: And, and one of the things I really appreciated about Miranda when we chatted was her desire to get connected to nature and her desire to be. Um, and she goes from a sport at a school like Georgetown where, you know, they're highly competitive and rowing. If you don't know about rowing, by the way, first of all, uh, like boys in the boat, right. Amazing book to read about teamwork. Uh, and that was my introduction. And then I started working with a row with a couple of rowing teams and what a sport there's, I think there's actually no greater team sport. Than, than rowing. Uh, literally, if you're the fastest rower, you have to slow down to make sure the boat can go faster. It's, it's just kind of a mind boggling concept if you, if you think about it. And uh, so I just appreciate having you on and, and I, I appreciate how intentional you are with, with your choices and how you, how you choose to live and be and uh, grateful to have you. So thanks for, thanks for joining us. Uh, Sebastian, uh, a question for somebody and then let people know where they can, they can find you and learn about you.
4: Yeah, you got it. So, Miranda, I'm going to go right back to you. I'm going to bring you back to the conversation. Um, you had mentioned narrative coaching, um, so I just would love to hear a little bit more about what that is and how can people leverage their own narratives right now to to tell their story through this whole pandemic. Oh,
1: great question! Thank you for asking it. Um, yeah, I I just I think um, I'm going to start with the second question in terms of coming back to it. Um, I think that it can feel. I know that I felt. Well, at the beginning of this pandemic, I really noticed how much other people's feelings and emotions, and what they said, and what links they shared with me, how they affected how I was feeling. It was like that that human moment where you're like, "Man, I am such like I'm so affected by my environment." Um, and as time has gone on, I've learned to be more intentional about who I'm interacting with, and when, and how much, and what I'm consuming, and what I'm not consuming because I realized how much the story I was telling myself in my own mind was affected by, you know, the level of anxiety of the person that I just connected with or not Um, instead of turning inward and, and, you know, asking myself, well, well, how do I really feel? What, what, what's the story that I'm telling myself right now? Um, And so I really think that, you know, being thoughtful about, the stories that we're you know there's the story that we're getting from the national news media there's a story we're getting from all of our clients the stories that we're getting from family and friends and how we're making sense of this is how we're telling the story to ourselves um and so the way i'm kind of tapping into um narrative coaching right now is to remember to connect with myself and to to think about the story that i want to tell and um like I just wrote a blog post about sort of taking back the narrative. Like that, we don't have to like, I I'm going to butcher this quote. It's a Viktor Frankl quote, but about, you know, we have a, cho- we have a choice to um, like the, the final thing that can be taken away from us is our, like we have a choice in terms of how we um, of the attitude that we have and the actions that we take. And so I'm thinking about, or thoughtful around um, you know, what, what's the story that I'm telling myself in this moment about this situation? And I don't want to tell myself this reactive anxious story because I don't, I do believe we're going to be okay. It's going to be hard. There's going to be pain and suffering as we go through it and we'll get through it. So um, I, I guess I really love the, the narrative coaching model because it stays very in the present moment versus Looking back, what we've lost, what we're grieving, what we what has now gone away, or forward, spending a lot of time uh, being attached to when this you know uh, relief might come. More thinking about okay, what what do I have today? Both it's really wonderful and really amazing and really hard. And then how do I how do I want to uh, make meaning and sense of that in a way that supports the way that I want to live and be? I don't know if I actually answered your
4: questions, but I tried. <laughs> Nailed it. Thank you so much.
0: And Sebastian, where can people learn about you? So I think Seb is the biggest Instagrammer of the crew. He puts out something called the Daily Juice. Is it? It's Daily Juice. It's every single day. Daily Juice. Daily Juice. And, uh, you know, so just real quick on, on, on Seb. I call him Seb. I don't know. You like Seb or Sebastian? I go by Seb. Seb. So yeah. we got connected through... Uh, a mutual friend. Uh, I'm involved in the nonprofit called Peace Players, and so is a former coach of Seb's, of a friend of Seb's. And he said, "Hey, would you sit down and have lunch with with this guy, Seb? He's kind of interested in some of the things you're interested in." And we go to lunch, and we had barbecue. And at the time, Seb was just doing keto diet for like a month. So he walks in and Seb's this big, strong, good looking guy. He looks exactly like me. And uh, so so, so Seb walks in and we sit there and he just starts taking notes, like so many notes. And what he didn't realize or what I didn't realize that day is how much I was going to end up learning from Seb during our time together. So I think originally it was supposed to be like a mentor-mentee type deal. And even today, we had a call yesterday that Seb was involved in. And when he starts talking, I just get so much information out of him. And so, Sev, just want you to know I appreciate you. And uh, once again, glad that you could join us for this panel and um, tell people where they can get the daily juice and also where they can find out the work that you're doing.
4: Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me on it. Speaking of notes, um, thank you all for filling my page because I (laughs) got some really great quotes. I'll go back and watch this later. Um, You can find all my stuff uh, at SebastianLittle.com. So I'm actually really excited tomorrow. I'm going to be putting out a a playbook for coaches, athletic coaches to navigate coronavirus. Everything from how do you run a virtual meeting to um, potential meeting agendas to building culture through crisis. Um, It's going to be kind of um, a, a, a montage of a lot of the conversations that I've been having over the past few weeks. So, i um, excited to kind of release that tomorrow. That's on SebastianLittle.com. Uh, but then all social media is at Seb Little, S-E-B-L-I-T-T-L-E underscore. Um, so Daily Juice goes on there. It's a 30 second to 60 second kind of motivational performance, um, coaching related, either question or quote or prompt um, on both Twitter and Instagram. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, and then uh, obviously Facebook and, and LinkedIn as well. So we'd love to connect there. Um, you know, I love this work and uh, just appreciate being part of the conversation.
0: Thanks, Seb. Uh Jim, a question or a insight that you've gleaned from today? Uh why don't you go yeah. ahead?
3: Yeah, I will put the question over to Seb. Uh, you work with a four-star general and a bunch of Navy SEALs. What has it been like working with that group of people mm-hmm. who just mindset wise, like they're just on a different level? Um What's it been like working with them during this time? And, and any sort of unique takeaways or things that, that you say, like this is, this is different than probably than, than working in another organization.
0: He said, yeah. before you go, you, you froze on my computer for like a good five seconds there with just like the biggest smile ear to ear. I hope that that frozen uh, comes across <laughs> when we upload this to YouTube because that should be your new uh, Instagram profile. It is a ear to ear smile. Anyway, I just had to throw that in. Yeah. But now P- go and talk P- about maybe... talk about Navy sales and generals out
4: please feel free to use that as the thumbnail too. Um, (laughs) yeah. So how, how has, um, man, it's been, it's been incredible. Uh, you know, we're about 40% military. So that puts in perspective and a lot of our folks went through the, you know, the heat, the top, um, of the Iraq, Afghanistan, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. So you've got people that, that have lived in crisis before. And it's, it was fascinating to see over a 24 hour period to see the, company um obviously our leadership is primarily military but our leadership take over then everybody else follow with basically changing going 180 on our model maybe 90 degrees on our model and figuring out how do we how do we typically operate and then what do we need to do to adapt to operate so redefining our products um you know changing the way that our our operating rhythm kind of back to our our meeting cadence and information flow Um, and everything was almost seamless and overnight and then with that too, the leader behavior also followed so typically when you're when you're trying to change a culture or change an organizational system there 's two things that need to happen. The first line and I draw a line as a, as a kind of a uh, up curve here is the system you got to have the systems in place, the technology in place to allow you to do these things. The second one is the behavior and what 's fascinating about this transition is that there' there 's been such a tight line and tight seamless transition between both those things. That's usually the behavior is what lags. And I always give the example of an, uh, an operating system. You get your, well, throwing phones. You get your phone, it says, hey, we have an update. Then it takes you, you know, you update it. You say, I'm going to update it at, at night tonight at a later time so I can still use it. It updates overnight, and then it takes you a week to figure it out. So your behavior tracks below, below your system. And really what I'm getting to is my point here is that there was no lag. We've had people that have dealt with crisis before. This is actually, um, there's a weird calm in all this. And the expectation for the organization because of the example that they set is that there's also a calm right we're going to communicate relentlessly we're going to communicate with clarity um we're gonna we're gonna raise our hand if we have something to say because all ideas are valid ideas and the people closest to the problems i'm working with a lot of our social media i've got a much better take on social media than a lot of our our senior folks so i've then become the subject matter expert on it right Um, and their ability to both receive voice we talk about voicing up and then also uh, drive clarity and drive calm has been um an absolute textbook i'm i'm feel very fortunate to be up up close and personal yeah
3: i bet what a great learning experience yeah Awesome. Thanks, Seb. So, uh, Brian, just to, to wrap up, I guess, and, and offer some places where folks can find me just uh, jimharshawjr.com, just JR for junior. Uh, jimharshawjr.com is my website. You can find me on Twitter, Jim Harshaw, Instagram, Jim Harshaw Jr., uh, or just uh, go to your favorite podcast app and, and look up success through failure.
0: Now I'll just give a, a Jim a quick shout out. We've never met in person, but I think we were connected by the Spaniard. Is that right?
3: I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Spaniard, for those that don't know, MMA, he was an amazing MMA fighter and he calls himself the toughest lifelong learner and uh, just really enjoyed getting to know him. And uh, he connected us. He just said, Hey, I think Jim is somebody who is, has similar passions to you and and loves to learn like you. And um, I really enjoyed when you came on the podcast and have enjoyed following it. I mean, Tim Ferriss, you know, Easy guy to get on a podcast. So Jim, uh
3: you know, way way to go on that front.
0: (laughs) um, but (laughs) you know, Jim's podcast is awesome and you could hear his curiosity throughout this conversation, asking questions. And I think he's also very organized with how he thinks and and how he serves his people. And uh so Jim, thank you so much for for coming on. Um and Scott, Scott, you're you're the last one to share. So so a question or an insight.
2: yeah, I've got a question for Jim. Uh, so, Jim, you you live in Charlottesville currently? Right, right, and been there for years. Yes. Uh, so, Charlottesville obviously was in the news in a in a big uh, kind of crisis oriented way a couple of years ago with with the the whole thing with the 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 march and everything. Right. Everything that happened afterwards. Is there any way that you think? are there ways that you think Charlottesville is either better or worse prepared for what's going on now, having the community having gone through the crisis that it went through a couple of years ago?
3: Yeah. What a great question. I mean, yeah. Anytime you, you deal with an adversity, you know, it exposes again, you know, those those cracks in the foundation, right. Whether it's communication, decision-making, et cetera, you know, framework for, for, you know, you know, deploying resources, et cetera, like those cracks were exposed. But the bigger thing that comes out of it is, is a conversation, right? A conversation begins to take place around, you know, what really happened here, right? Is, is, is Charlottesville really a place and, and most people who who live here don't believe that, that this is, this is not a a bastion for, for, um, uh, for, for hate. Yeah. And. And, but it creates this conversation, right? And, and, you know, for better or for worse, our, our, our hometown, this town that we love so much, uh, has become sort of representative of where hate resides and it's not the case, but, but these conversations come up, right? So, so if you face so what's the lesson here for, for everybody is like when you face adversity, when you, when you deal with maybe it's failure and maybe it's outside adversity, like how do you learn from it? right? Do you just ignore it and kind of roll through it and go, okay, well, that sucked. and you move on. Or do you have like in the military, they, you know, do, do you do an after action report and, and you say, okay, what went right? What went wrong? What will we do differently? And I challenge everybody to consider that, right? You can do that on a daily basis on a, on a micro scale. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, going through this, right? You know, last week, evaluating last week, evaluating the last three weeks, you know, what's going well, what's not going well, what could I be doing differently? So hitting that pause button. So it has created conversation, good conversation.
0: And, and and Scott, just to jump in, we had Mike Signer on one of these panel discussions. Mike was the mayor of Charlottesville during all of that. And Jim, I don't know if you all know each other, but Mike no. also shared. Um, first of all, we've all talked about how crisis does expose uh, cracks in maybe society, and I think we're seeing that in different areas. Um, and certainly Charlottesville, you know, you could see some some cracks. But he also talked about what came out of that was also some solutions to handle these types of experiences and environments going forward and how they can prosecute those hate groups in a legal way um, going forward. And Mike said that even today, they're constantly working on how to handle those types of situations. And so I, I do think as we come out of this, hopefully there's also going to be more proactive measures in the in the future so that we know how to better handle it and so i tweeted something the other day that you know crisis really does expose you know cracks in our society and one of my clients and a leader um in her, in her own right said it also exposes um people that are great during this time. And so I think people forget when it comes to Charlottesville, there were a lot of people doing great stuff uh, as well. And there continue to be people doing great stuff in the face of some of our worst, uh, aspects of humankind. And so I think we're seeing that too. We are seeing people do the right things and, and we want to tell the stories about the kids being at the bars or the beach or hoarding toilet paper, but there are so many people doing incredible, simple acts of heroism every Mm -hmm. single moment. And so I, I get chills as I say that, because I do think that that's the other piece that Mike, Mike would talk about when it. he said, we made our fair share of mistakes, no doubt. And here's what we learned. And here's what we actually have done. Since uh, And he actually has a new book out that that talks about some of that as well. So, um, Scott, if people want to learn more about the work you do, uh, where can they find mm-hmm.
2: that? Uh, our website is Eblen Group. It's E as in echo, V as in boy, L-I-N as in November, eblengroup.com. And I would encourage people to follow me on LinkedIn. I write a blog weekly, have for years, and pretty pandemic uh, leadership focused right now on the blog um and've uh, uh, ad admiring uh, our podcasters here i i 've been working on a podcast for a while. I have a couple of episodes in the can we 'll be launching that uh later this spring so uh stay tuned for that awesome
0: and and just to close um you 're all coaches, and I just said this to somebody the other day like when i and talking to someone about the work I do, I really don't feel like I am selling myself. I really feel like I'm selling coaching. And I just believe in coaching. And I feel very confident in saying that if anybody's interested in getting help right now and, and getting coached, I can tell you that these four people, uh, you'll be in good hands. And so um, I really believe Right now, yes, to Scott's point, sometimes we can work at that top of the pyramid of self actualization and self esteem. But even if it's the bottom, side of that pyramid. Um, just creating some space to think about how you're intentionally showing up right now. A coach is a, is a great thing to help you as a leader. So for those tuning in and are interested, or if something resonated that one of our panelists said, and you want to follow up with them, I just really encourage you to do that. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. You can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. Thank you all for being in service. Thank you all for being you and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. And I look forward to chatting with all of you via Zoom or in person uh, sometime soon. So thank you all for being here.
2: Thanks, Brian. Thanks for thank